I mean, what's Pro Football Focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. No Steve today. Apparently the man's sick and he's got to rest up for a grind marathon of draft coverage during the draft days. One, two, three, review show, review podcast, all kinds of stuff coming up. So the man's sitting this one out. So we have the great Anthony Tresh coming in for the first time in a long time. Anthony's going to be on day three of the draft on the Mm -hmm. show. Welcome in. Yeah, I think the last time I was in the studio, I got buttered up. Yeah, uh, yeah, after or before the national title game, new chairs, new logo up front looks new chairs, great. Yeah, new chairs, three bill certified chairs. So theoretically, these are Steve proof. Oh. The last ones, their uh, their official weight limit was either two fifty or two seventy five or something. Either way, it was like below what Steve is now pushing. So consequently, there is a chair graveyard somewhere around here from the three or four old chairs that he's destroyed. These ones, though. Are certified to handle three bills. That's good. Then I mean, good news is I'm five eleven, hard one ninety. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm good on any chair. You and I, we're fine. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Two fifty, two seventy five, three hundred. It's all it's all the same. That's good. Now, well, me when I was like twelve years old. On the other hand, <laughs> probably would have given these chairs a good go. The downside of these chairs, however, is they have sides to them, which is again fine for you and I. Steve, it's, you know, it's getting a little restrictive. Didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, we're going to dive into draft. We haven't had your draft takes, so we've been listening to me and Steve talk about the same guys forever. We're almost there, almost on draft time, but you've got some interesting takes. Um, do I? You do. You do. We hit one of them just before we went on. We'll definitely bring that up again. Uh, I'll, I'm going to get your take on the Aaron Rodgers thing and generally buzz through the draft and uh, get to all of your, your hot takes. But first, we've got to tell people that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the great people at Western and Southern Financial Group who we have put a plaque on the wall to immortalize the wondrous work that they do. While you focus on your roster moves and the draft, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash pff all right let's start with the uh, the aaron Rodgers trade um we didn't dive into that too much but it's finally done they actually agreed the compensation they got it done before the draft aaron Rodgers is now a member of the new york jets um the official compensation i think they they flipped picks in the first round so they have 13 and 15 they swap picks um they get the the packers get a second rounder this year and then they get next year a conditional first, essentially. So if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps next year, which, you know, it will, barring injury, it's a first-round pick next year. Uh, what's your take on that trade? Yeah, I mean, I think Green Bay got a pretty good haul, all things considered. You know, I necessarily wouldn't 
wouldn't have done this. You know, I think at this point, the path that they'd gone down, they were kind of forced to because they took Jordan Love. Now was the time to go to make the move. You know, there was some disagreements between, you know, leadership and Rodgers. So I think they had to go down this path. I, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone down that path from the get-go. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got good compensation, I think, for New York. It was something they had to do. They had a great team outside quarterback. Zach Wilson wasn't working. And, you know, at the time, don't disagree with the Zach Wilson pick. I don't think anybody did. Everybody was on board. You know, Lawrence won, Wilson two. After that, that's when everything got murky, and you could discuss Fields, Jones, Lance, however you wanted, or you know, thought it was at that time. But you know, I think it's, I think it's going to be good for both parties. But we'll see how good Green Bay can be with Jordan Love. I have some doubts. You know, even though he did light up those nine passes <laughs> earlier in the season, but you know, I'm rooting for him. Hopefully, he can kind of pull something out. But I think what interests me the most is that first round pick swap. Why did they want to go from 15 to 13? I don't know. I mean, I think that – so the, the Packers also get a sixth rounder this year in that as well. Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating because once they decided that they were moving on from Rodgers, like once the Packers decided, look, we're done with this crap, we're, we're going to Jordan Love, if not now, when are you going to do it? And, you know, your point is a reasonable one that, like, who the hell knows what Jordan Love is right now? He was not exactly an amazing prospect, was a raw guy coming out. And we're kind of basing the idea that he's ready now on those nine passes. It's like that's it's a pretty small sample size to be to be working from. That's scary. But you know, first round pick, we're a few years into this thing. It's like if you're not going to do it now, like you're never going to know. And then you just literally blowtorch the first round pick for no purpose. So, and, and look, we're running the we're repeating the Brett Favre playbook. At some point, you just get tired of the crap. So, from from Green Bay's point of view, I understand entirely. Just saying, look. It's now. We, we've decided we're not doing this again. Bye-bye. Um, from that point on, though, I, I still contend that neither side had any leverage in these negotiations, right? The Packers needed to get him rid, and the Jets needed to bring him in. Like, neither side has any leverage here. But obviously, the Jets blinked. Like, whatever the impasse was in the negotiations, and maybe it was that they didn't want to give up the first this year— the Jets blinked and came back to the table and said, okay, let's make this work. Like Green Bay held firm enough that they've got by far the better end of this deal. Like there's no guarantee that Rodgers plays any length of time for them. And yet they're giving up a first rounder next year, a second rounder this year, swapping picks and the sixth rounder. Um, I feel like they could have played a little bit more hardball, strung this out longer, like dragged it out past this year, maybe make it a conditional first next year, period like that's the only thing we're giving up and still got the deal done like Green Bay needs this to happen so yeah that's my big takeaway from the actual compensation is like the Jets kind of got fleeced I mean I think they might have been like everybody like us we're just tired of the Aaron Rodgers saga and they wanted to get it the hell done that that's could be a possibility there but yeah I think they just really didn't have any other options out there you know they did poke around other avenues when free agency was going on trade market whatever but you know, they needed Aaron Rodgers because oh, yeah. what else? You're going to put Zach Wilson out there again? No, they, they needed it to happen. Yeah. But it feels like if they'd been patient, like the, the Pack, as much as they needed it to happen, the Packers also need to get rid of him. Like they don't have the leverage to go, oh, well, it's fine. We'll keep Aaron Rodgers. Like if you keep him now after he's already declared publicly he wants to play for the Jets, after you've essentially said we're trading him away, we're going to Jordan Love, and then the whole thing collapses and you're like, oh, right, well, let's just keep him. That's a disaster. Like, Green Bay couldn't do that. So, 
again, like neither side had any, had any leverage, at which point it feels like the compensation could have been less than what they ended up coughing up for it. Yeah, I, I think, too, I mean, I know it was a big debate, you know, just witnessing from the sidelines, a lot of people are like, oh, Aaron Rodgers was washed, wasn't as good last year in Green Bay. I'm not necessarily buying that. I think if let's, you know, play the hypothetical game. If he's in Green Bay this year, still think he would have been fine. I know he's getting older or whatever. He may not be in MVP form, but it, Packers, I would have picked them to win the NFC North with him, right? Yeah. Under center. No doubt about that. I think with Green or with New York now, maybe it gets a little bit more interesting. And I think maybe those people are saying he is washed. We'll come back and get the last laugh and be like, ah, I told you he's washed. I mean, he's playing in a new system. I mean, this is a completely different environment that he's ever seen, right? I mean, he hasn't changed teams since college. You know? Right, except that the Jets have hired um, uh, the, his old offense coordinator that was with the Broncos. Why am I Broncos? Nathaniel Hackett. Um, Still. So theoretically, and this is, you know, you've got to assume this is what's going to happen. Like Hackett is just going to run whatever the hell offense Aaron Rodgers wants to run. I mean, yeah, I mean, ecosystem in general, just a completely different yeah, supporting yeah, cast yeah. is the biggest thing that I'm looking at there. Because, I mean, Rodgers has had his core for a while, and I think him losing Devontae did play a part in him not being as sure. high. I still think he was fine for him, but I think that's where I kind of look at this and say, what if this goes south? You know, what if he's okay? What if the Jets aren't contending? Maybe they sneak into the wild card. They're the seventh seed. You know, what's he going to do next year? Yeah, and that's when it gets scary for the New York Jets. So, and particularly if he was saying this year, like he was ninety percent sure he was going to walk away, and then yeah. went into the cave and came back, and was like, "Actually, I'm good. I can play again." Like, that's ninety like, percent is quite a large percentage to be like, "No, nah, I'm retiring." Yeah, and you know, to your point with Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, that's exactly why Nathaniel Hackett oh, yeah. is their OC. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers was not going to be a New York Jet, he probably is not the OC. Right, and so I think that's trying to help the cause of getting. You know, it's it's still his system, but again, you got to get everybody else up to speed. You know, and everybody's kind of one together there. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's stick with the quarterback theme, but move on to the draft guys. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the big four guys. We've kind of done that to death. You know, we talked about a lot about them. I want to talk about the next group of quarterbacks. Um, I want to start with Hendon Hooker, though, because if you were listening to Chris Collinsworth's mock draft yesterday, he had probably the single two most I don't want to use the term crazy because he listens to the show. Uh, Bold, let's call them. Bold and unique draft picks of any first-round mock draft I've heard. So we had a (laughs) consensus fifth or sixth-round safety going in the first round to the Bengals, who he thinks is better than Brian Branch. He's a hell of a take. And then he had the one that really caught fire yesterday from Chiefs fans, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee going to the Kansas City Chiefs at number 31 overall. And... Obviously, Chiefs fans hated that. The more I think about it, the more I think you can construct a case for it. Now, you have to sort of take a few, uh, you know, let's let's take a few things as read. Like, independent of what you think of Hendon Hooker as a quarterback, right? Let's assume for a minute he belongs in that general area, which I disagree with. I know I, you disagree with as well. But if you assume that Hendon Hooker is a first-round type of quarterback based off his tools— that you can make a pretty good argument that like drafting essentially an elite backup quarterback is good business for a team like Kansas City. Like Chris's logic of what's the worst thing that can happen in Kansas City right now is they lose Mahomes for like four or five games and all of a sudden they're way behind the eight ball, you know, versus the other contenders and, and they, they're potentially in trouble. Like if you could be assured that Hendon Hooker was going to become, say, the best backup quarterback in the NFL, 
getting the best backup quarterback in the NFL on a dirt cheap contract for four years, then being able to pick up the fifth year option and trade him away for probably what you got, what it cost you to get him if he's good. That's actually fine. That's good. Like that's, that's probably better. Like, would that be more or less valuable to them than let's say George Karlaftis's current career trajectory, which is like, he's going to play a lot. He's going to get some pressure. Doesn't look like he's making a tremendous amount of impact. He's going to get a lot of cleanup pressures. Like the backup quarterback is probably more valuable. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it. It's not probable, <laughs> but it's not impossible to think of, right? I mean, we've seen some crazy stuff happen like that. I mean, that to me is less crazy than like the Patriots drafting Cole Strange last year. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You know, we've seen New England kind of do their own thing for, for a while. Yeah, yeah but, but like, in, like uh, separate from the fact that it's New England, so of course they did something weird. Like the idea yeah. of drafting like a consensus third-round guard in the first round is – I think more crazy than taking a guy who's supposed to go in the first round, but will be a backup for you because you already have like a, a cast iron hall of fame starter. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think there's a real chance any hooker could go 31. I just don't think it's going to be the Kansas city chiefs, you know, making the call and turning in the card. Right. You know, you can get a few different teams that could trade back in, you know, to get that fifth year. But you know, I, to your point, you know, if they did, let's say that does happen. I mean, you look at the way he operated Josh Heupel's offense at Tennessee. I mean, he's super consistent, right? He operated as it was designed. Was it like ecology offense, very gimmicky, you know, just not anything he, like he's going to see in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, it didn't help him in that regard. Like, we have no idea if he can actually play quarterback at the NFL level. But with this system, couldn't have been better. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, maybe that's the appeal. You know, he's a good athlete. I guess the problem – I have with the entire things. You look at these, all these quarterbacks, and you can all pick like one big like strength and weakness. And you know, of course, Bryce Young. It's the size. You know, you look at Anthony Richardson. It's the accuracy. Will Levis. The lack of you know true high level throws. Those big time throws. Didn't really see a lot of them. The regression from last year with Hinton Hooker. Yeah, you could pick any because he's got like five where you could make a reasonable case against him. You know, he's old, twenty five years old. He's hurt. You know, <laughs> college system pocket presence. I mean, all these things really add up. And do you really want to invest in that in the first round? I mean, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. I think he is going to go round one. That's why I'm not too big on taking Hinden Hooker early. But if you're drafting him with the intentions of being a backup, it's all about him operating the offense that he was in just as consistent and efficient as possible. Yeah. I mean, I want to make clear before, you know, there's a social clip of me saying that the, 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 Chiefs, the Chiefs should draft Hendon Hooker 31. I agree with Chris. I don't think Hendon Hooker is a first-round quarterback. I think I don't think he should be. I think there's too much unknown about his tape because of that offense. I don't see how you can project that as a first-round guy. I'm just saying the idea of a the idea of an elite team who has a great quarterback drafting a backup quarterback at the back end of the first round. I don't think is as crazy as people are making it out to be. I actually think that is potentially not a bad idea. Like we've seen. The value of the position is so much. And if the Chiefs lose Mahomes for half a dozen games, what like Blaine Gabbert is is going to survive for six games? Are you really comfortable with that? Like, you need something. And if Hooker can be that guy, it's absolutely worth that kind of draft pick. But what's interesting to me, uh, I've talked about my concerns about him. You have the most negative view of Hendon Hooker, I think, of anybody I've heard. Because my problem is essentially that offense 
and the unknown between that and an NFL offense, I just don't see how you can project it. But you actually have a lot of problems with his on-field play in, in that offense. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, Tennessee had one of the most explosive offenses in sure. college football. I mean, like I said, and I mean it, he operated that as it was designed, nearly perfect, took care of the football. I mean, obviously only two picks. The advanced data matches that five turnover-worthy plays for the year, and I don't care what kind of offense you're running. Oh, like doing a one that. Point, one point something percent turnover-worthy yeah. play rate, which I mean, is better than Bryce Young's, which is 2%, which I've been talking up as a good thing over the last you know two years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But at the same time, you have to look at, okay – is the way the, the way he plays the game can that translate right and the biggest issue i have is the pocket presence thing i mean you're converting you know pressure to sacks 29 percent of the time that's bad i mean that's very concerning i mean i'm talking with ben Lindsay, he's upstairs right now all the time and we're breaking down these quarterbacks and he's saying you know told me a good stat like only 50 percent of his pressure dropbacks results in a throw that's not like that's not sustainable at the NFL level, right? You know, and then you add in everything else I mentioned with you know age, injury, and the unknown with this college system. It's like, you know, you look at his receiver Jalen Hyatt, right? I mean, obviously he's got speed. We know that he burned defenses. You know, he had some incredible uh, performances this year for Tennessee. You know, but we don't know if he can be a true receiver at the NFL level. That being said, I would be more confident in trying to. You know what Jalen Hyatt can do. You know his floor. Yeah. You know he can still be an explosive deep threat. Right. And so for that, I'm still fine taking him somewhat early, maybe not first round, but still you see something there with Hendon Hooker. I mean, there's just so many ways that you see him play the game that you just don't know if it translates. I mean, again, most of his throws were like he was at his pro day, you know yeah. what I mean? Because it was just air. Right. People were wide open. That's Nobody can like, defend that super spreader offense. The way they're stacking these guys, you got to play man coverage. Yeah. Not a lot of these college corners can play man coverage, and so it makes it very difficult. That's what I was saying, that you're almost, you almost learn as much from like the combine position drills as you do watching Tennessee offense tape from, for Hooker and, and Jalen Hyatt. Like it's a complete abstraction what you're trying to ask him to do. It's a good point, though, that you can – I mean, even if even if Jalen Hyatt can do nothing else, you can. There's a role for that in the NFL. You can create that wide receiver role within an offense, albeit it's limiting. But you can't create that for a quarterback. There's no if all Hendon Hooker can do is operate that Tennessee offense to a really high level, he can't play in the NFL. Like there's no way you can create a similar effect in the league because NFL defenses are different. NFL fields are different it's not you can't create that so if that's the limit of what he can achieve it's you're screwed like he can't play that that's different to Jalen Hyatt where if that's the limit he can do he can still play in the league and actually he can still be quite valuable in terms of like a designated deep threat even if you have to keep him away from press coverage and you know stacked alignments and all that kind of thing that's still useful it's not for the quarterback if he can't play 100 percent. and I mean I think in this class too it, I, so the whole theory of, you know, can't, could Kansas City take a quarterback to be a good backup, you know? I don't hate it, but I think in this year's class, I kind of do because <laughs> the, I think there's a lot of good candidates to be a quality backup in the NFL in this class. Clayton Toon, Stetson Bennett, Tanner McKee. I mean, I think there's some guys that could be a viable option as a backup quarterback. Could come in, win some ball games. Stetson Bennett, I love. He's spunky. You know, he comes and he's tough. He's also I, smart as hell. People don't give him credit for that. I mean, he was – the way he was executing that Georgia offense – I knew, I knew before watching him that I was going to like his tape, like just from seeing a couple of Georgia games. I was like, I'm going to like that guy, and I don't want to. And I went <laughs> through his tape, and it's like, God damn, I, I really did like his tape. Like we, we were talking before we went on air, and it's like, you know, the, the top four guys that we're talking about are probably the only four that have 
starter potential. Maybe Hendon Hooker, you know, depending on like that. Bridging that gap of offense is just such an unknown. It could go anywhere from total disaster, can't play to, yeah, he's a good starter. Um, so five, I guess. After that, is there anybody in this draft class that could be a starter? I don't think so. But again, that doesn't mean it's like a, like I think the depth of this group, I think the options that you're going to have to choose from on day three is going to be the best it has been in a while. Now, I don't necessarily agree with this being a great quarterback class still because of the, you know, high-end franchise guys. There's not a lot of like surefire. Like I said, everybody's got that one issue. Hinton Hooker may have a few more, but, you know, I think there's going to be some options, you know, with Stetson Bennett. I loved his tape just because of the way he carried out that offense. It was very favorable, but I mean, the timing and just really taking command of that offense, getting to the right play protection. I think the biggest thing this year, too, is that he was very comfortable operating past his first read. I mean, yeah. he was standing in there very calm. You know, you go back to the year before, Georgia still wins the national title with that SEC title game. They lost. Big reason why they lost, they got into obvious passing situations. You know, Alabama was throwing these different pressure looks, very, very much confusing sets in Bennett. He just couldn't do anything. I mean, you sensed that panic. You didn't see that this past year. You really saw him grow as a quarterback. So, you know, again, size and age is a big thing with him, but he's, I think he's got some interesting backup qualities to him. Yeah, he's the one guy where I'm not saying he will be a starter or anything, but if we were three, four years down the road and it turned out Stetson Bennett was a baller in the NFL and able, somehow able to overcome all, all of the, you know, the size, the everything about him, it wouldn't shock me. Like, there's something – he's got a little bit of that college Baker Mayfield thing to him, like the swag, the the attitude, the doing it the hard way. Like, they tried to replace him multiple times. Like, didn't matter. It, there's something to that, I think, where obviously it didn't work out or hasn't worked out for Baker Mayfield. The the negative aspects of his play have, have subsumed the positive ones. But I still think there's a world where a guy with that kind of, like, chip on his shoulder or attitude, like – experience of having gone through the grind and come out the other side because a lot of the Jalen Hurts stuff is similar right that guy got benched in the, in the national title game for cause like it was it was the right call to bench him for Tua Tua immediately made that offense look better it was the right thing and that like couldn't have been on a bigger stage literally he has to transfer away you know rebuild his career now he's a second round pick not a lot of people think he has much of a chance a lot of other people think the pick is terrible in the first place because you already have Carson Wentz as your quarterback. He just keeps his head down, tries to get better, and all of a sudden he's you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL and is a few plays away from winning a Super Bowl. I think there's a – like obviously Jalen Hurts has dramatically more physical skills than Stetson Bennett, but I think there's something to that like constant, you know, just keep getting better, head down, grind, go through adversity. And like Stetson Bennett is the poster child for that in this draft. That's a good point. I actually was reading something. I'm very inter interested in like psychology, and like if I'm reading something, it's usually just about that. And I actually read something a few weeks ago. Like there is something to that. Like people that have to face adversity, yeah, and you know, reaching the top of their craft. That's a real thing. You know, I'm not saying that always in football. I mean, a lot of like when you look at the best players in football, most of the time people look at them when they're 11, you're like, you're going to be a superstar, right. you know, and they know that and they are. And we're not t obviously talking about all the situations where people are like, like yeah, you know, I doubt you, you're not going to work out and they don't because it happens all the time. Like Arch Manning right now, right? He, yeah. the Texas spring game was reportedly terrible, right? That's probably the first time in his life Arch Manning has faced any form of adversity as a football player. 
literally the first time ever. He's gone from day one. It's been anointed as the next Manning, right? He's going to be the, the best of them all. He's got Peyton's brain and arm and, and uh, Cooper's athleticism. It's the perfect Manning. And then, you know, he becomes like the hottest recruit of all time and then goes to the Texas spring game and he, he looks terrible. Like, that's never happened to that guy before. This is literally the first time in his life at the age of whatever, 18, that he's hit any form of football adversity. And like how he reacts to that is going to be important. He's probably rushed. It was like three throws. <laughs> it was a spring game. He's like 17 years old. Yeah, you yeah. Know, maybe, maybe. But like literally, it. that's going to be the first time he's ever yeah. run into like it didn't go perfectly. Like this, it something happened. This was not. This, I, what the hell? I, I'm not used to this. How yeah. does this work? You got a large crowd saying, "Oh, he may suck." You know, right. Yeah, I, I get that. Maybe Will Levis is the same way. You know, competed at Penn State. Losses didn't. You know, competed for a starting job there. Right. Lost to Sean Clifford. Had to transfer to Kentucky. You know, he was doubted. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Will Levis is, you know, the guy. You know, I, I still think I would go with a few other options, but, you know, maybe he follows that same path. Who knows? Yeah, and, you know, people use that a lot as a negative, right? Couldn't beat out some guy at his previous college. Number one, that's going to get only become a bigger thing with the transfer portal. Like, before, it was a serious – I mean, it, it, it at least had resonance because it meant you had to burn a year in order to get the hell away from the competition, right? Whereas now, it's like if you lose a starting job – all right, I'm out. I'll go somewhere else. Like, it's going to be a bigger thing than it's ever been in the past. But also, there are, like, there's tons of examples where, you know, a better player couldn't beat out someone else. I was listening today, actually. Did you know the reason that Adrian Peterson from Texas, Palestine, Texas, did not go to Texas? He went to Oklahoma. Nope. Adrian Peterson, when he went on his tour of, you know, recruiting, and he talked to Pete Carroll at USC and uh, Mac Brown at Texas and Bob Stoops at Oklahoma— the, one of the only question he asked any of them, uh, Nick Saban at LSU, was, uh, "Can I come in and compete for the starting job right away, like as a freshman?" And obviously, all of them are like, uh, "Yeah, like you're Adrian Peterson, you could compete for a starting job in the NFL right away." Yes, Mac Brown at Texas was the only guy who went. Well, Cedric Benson is coming back for a senior year, so it's Cedric Benson's job. You're, you, you know, you're not really going to be competing. So he's like, "All right." Go to Oklahoma, <laughs> start as a freshman, look like like the best running back we've ever seen. Yeah, sorry. So, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy wasn't better in the first place or that there's not a perfectly logical reason for him, you know, not winning a starting job versus whoever. Like, okay, quarterback is obviously different to running back, but Joe Flacco had to transfer to Delaware or Delaware State or whatever it was. I forget some – was it Tyler Palco who was ahead of him? Somebody – who, you know, didn't make it in the NFL. Like, it isn't just because a guy couldn't beat out somebody at their first college does not necessarily mean they can't be a good NFL player down the line. Yeah, look at Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he had to treat, he Juco. started small, Juco, went to Cal, and then he kind of rose his way up. I mean, there's a lot of examples like that. I'm not going to lie, when you said Adrian Peterson, my the first thought that came to mind was the Adrian Peterson that played for the Bears. Like, yeah, in the early other Adrian 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was in a backfield with Garrett Wolf. That was a deep cut. I don't know. I just had flashbacks when you said that. But no, I mean, I think that is real. You could probably find examples of that. I mean, league-wide of some of these guys that did kind of rise to the occasion. And again, it's not like, you know, you have to face adversity. Right. I mean, I think everybody does with the sacrifice it takes to get there, right? But, you know, that true adversity, something like a Stetson Bennett where, you're, you know, you are walking on and, you know, you're not expected to do anything. People are saying you shouldn't be starting over, you know, whomever. And then here you are. You want to tuck a couple natties and could be a good backup in the NFL.
So who is your QB5 in this class? So we've the, the big four. I actually forgot that I didn't have Hendon Hooker as my QB5. It's become so ubiquitous at this point. Um, and I, I remember people hated that. But who's your QB5 after those big four if it's not Hendon Hooker? Yeah, I kind of like Clayton Toon from Houston. That's my uh, guy. Yeah. Played for Dana Holgerson. Um, you know, I, I think he's got excellent playmaking ability. I mean, it's... He's guy that there, and I know it was against kind of lackluster competition at times, but, I mean, he's had experience, solid production all the way through. That's a pretty good combo to have, good testing. Um, I mean, he really keeps his eyes downfield under pressure. He makes chicken salad out of chicken shit, you know what I mean? So, I mean, he has strong deep ball. He can throw in the move. I like that. I like that in the backup. I think he's a good backup option. For him, like, again, Hinton Hooker, I just – I get why people like him. I just – would never even think of taking that kind of risk. Just everything there. So well, certainly not in the first. Like, yeah, that's the thing. I, that's I, where I get concerned. The lower down the draft you go, the more I'm 100 percent on the bo- on board with the idea of taking Hendon Hooker. Because unlike these other guys, you can definitely picture a world where he is a starter. Like he's got the size, the arm, the athleticism. He's got a lot to his game. Where you're like that. That is better than you know the the Clayton Toon, Jake Hayner. Stetson Bennett's of the world. Like, he's got those starting tools. It's just, it's an abstraction right now. Like, it's yeah. literally dra- like drafting an athlete or a guy that you've seen, you know, do really well at pro days or whatever and being like, I can work in the NFL, which is fine if you're doing that in the third round or the second round or whatever. It's a hell of a lot more uh, risky if you're like, it's going to cost a first round pick to, to see. Yeah. And like with Clayton Toon, like, I'm not taking him day two even. Like, that round four, yeah, like, that's when I'm starting to get interested. I, you know, I think with the issues with him, I really have concerns about his processing ability. He sees some of this complex NFL coverages. I think he's going to get lost a little bit, lost in the sauce. So he's going to have to be, if he gets, you know, sits on the bench and then you need to come in after a couple of years, I think that's when, that's why I kind of like him. But yeah, complex coverages, he saw a little bit of that in college and he got, I mean, he just didn't know what was going on. So, you know, I, that's where I'm concerned. But, you know, again, with Hooker, just, just really wouldn't, he just wouldn't be on my board at all. But with Toon, Stetson Bennett, uh, talked over those guys. Jake Hayner, I think he could be a good backup. I mean, you know, I, he has some of the best anticipatory throws on tape of mm. anybody. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. Um, but, again, small durability is an issue. You know, that's popped up, you know, throughout his college career. Um, you know, he is a little bit of a gamer. So, you know, I mean, all these guys kind of have those issues. But, you know, I think there is, there is a decent crop of backups in this class. I do have a fire stat for you, though. I oh, just yeah? came to mind. What do you got? I've shared this with everybody. I even <laughs> sent it to the big boss, Chris. I was, I was like, this is the best stat ever. Um, anyway, passing yards outside the structure of the offense over mm-hmm. the last two years. So outside the structure, we're talking undesigned pass attempts outside the pocket. Third in the FBS, Bryce Young. No surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, unreal playmaking ability. CJ Stroud, 20th. Anthony Richardson, 59th. Will Levis, third to last. Hidden Hooker, last. They, yeah. Will Levis has 46 passing yards outside the structure of the offense over passing the last yards? Years. Yes. Hidden <laughs> Hooker has 29. Hidden Hooker has had 79 dropbacks where he scram- it's, he's in the pocket, scrambles out. He's only completed three passes. Yeah. That's a concern. Like, that can't be your game that you live and die by off of. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen those quarterbacks fail, but you got to be okay. Like, Steve you got to survive in those situations. Yeah, Steve had a similar themed stat for Hennon Hooker, which is over his entire Tennessee career, he's had 15 pass attempts uh, beyond his first read, like beyond his first look. 15. Yeah. Like, you might have to do 15 times in a game in the NFL, and he's done it 15 times – 
during his his Tennessee career, it, it is impossible to overstate just how much of a complete abstraction that Tennessee offense is relative to what he's going to have to do playing for literally any NFL team. I don't care which side drafts him, any of the 32 NFL teams, it's a different world to what he's have to been doing. So again, it's not, we know he can't do that. It's just, he's, he's never had to do it at all. Um, let's move to wide receivers. Well, wait, hang on. For oh, what it's oh. worth, Bryce Young's my QB1. I think he's, I yeah. don't even think I said that. I don't think I touched on Young and Stroud and Richardson much. No. I think Bryce Young, top first overall pick. One thing about it, not concerned about the size. I think Carolina trading up, I love it. Get him in Carolina. I think they could be good in a couple of years. Okay, all right. Um, let's move to the wide receiver group. How bad is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, like, what's your flavor? Like, what do you need? Right, you know what kind of what kind of ingredients do you already have in your offense. That's kind of where you're at because you you just have so many different people like Josh Downs, Quentin Johnson. It's like, are we going to debate if they're wide receiver three or four? You know what I mean? But it's like they're so different yeah. what they can offer. Right. Um, I get concerned with these smaller guys, specifically like a Tank Dale and Zay Flowers. I don't know if they they're big enough to play in the NFL. Like flat out, like we haven't seen anybody that type of size pan out at all whatsoever. Um. I think overall, it's an interesting group. I wouldn't be surprised if you see some day three guys really pan out and have strong production or even third round guys yeah. and see some early busts. So, you know, I, I think with this class, I don't think there's any reason to really debate like rankings at all. Like I get why anybody would have this guy here, this guy there, but it's just like, it's just so unknown. I think situation is so important here. The only like strong take I have is that Jackson Smith and Jig was wide receiver one. And... I get he's not like super fast. He doesn't have burner speed and the hammy is an issue, you know, like Chris said on the show yesterday. Um, but man, winning in tight quarters, that's one of the most important things a wide receiver does. He does it better than anybody. The short area of quickness, you saw it in the agility drills. Mm. He, it's absurd. He has body control. The ball skills are there. Man, I, I really do think, assuming the hammy's fine, nothing to worry about short or long term, I would be shocked if he didn't pan out. I would take him top 12 wouldn't blink about him yeah i think his floor is very high yeah. like what he's good at should translate like chris is i think he does both of the things that chris was talking about which is you know when you look at a guy and he's open you have to ask yourself did he get open or was he just open on the play because you know the defense sucks or the the play call worked you know was he schemed open or did he get open I think for Smith and Jigba, it's both like he there are plays where he gets open he beats people with his route running he actually earns the separation himself there's also a ton of plays in that offense where he's just open like they the offense works and he's wide the hell open and you know somebody finds him with the ball it's not that it's it's the Tennessee offense where like Jalen Hyatt is open basically every play uh but there is a lot of it in there like you have to factor so when you look at his production and it's like there's a reason that they move everybody into the slot who's their best receiver right it gets them more wide open than it would if they were playing outside garrett wilson was in the slot then garrett wilson moved outside to make room for jackson smith and jigba and now marvin harrison jr is moving into the slot like that's where they put the best receiver because in addition to being the best it's going to be the most wide opens so you're going to have the most production so when people look at jackson smith and jigba's crazy season they're like oh he had more production than Alave and Garrett Wilson. It's like, yeah, but he was also playing the position that will get more production than the guys outside of him. So like, you have to bear that in mind, but I agree with you. Like he did, he does get open as well. The wide receiver position was really interesting. Like listening to Chris when he does his rankings, right? 
it's fascinating because he he does as good a job as anybody at coming to the draft with his like in a vacuum like i'm not listening to the noise i'm just going through the tape and i'm going to figure out whatever my rankings are right and that's how you end up with a, a safety that's consensus 200 and something in the board in the first round i wish everybody would do that right which yeah, i love as I a love concept that. right because it's all about your own opinions on these players and yet everybody like gets dragged into this group think of like here's how here's the rankings and you can tinker with it a little bit and people were okay with that but as soon as you go too far well now you're just chris sims trolling for clicks right now you're just you're now you're ridiculous or now you're uh chris collinsworth you're just you know, doing this for trolling right but like the receiver position this year in particular, I've kind of been wondering if I did a better job of completely isolating myself from the consensus or the noise, what my rankings would look like. Like when I went through the tape, I love Jonathan Mingo and I put him eighth when I first did the rankings. When I redid them for when I was uh, relabeling my notes, I bumped them up to seventh. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if I did this from without knowing that Jackson Smith and Jigbo was supposed to be the number one guy. Um, and Jordan Addison and Quentin John like Quentin Johnson was Renner's number one guy. Like without knowing any of that, how high would I have put Mingo based off just coming to his tape? Because I keep watching that dude's tape and like I don't I don't see the negative here. Like I, I, I like everything. The only negative is why he didn't have more production. And as much as I don't have a good answer for that, I don't see a problem with it either. Like it, he had good production last year. His quarterback wasn't great. Like, I don't – I'm not using that as a reason to not draft him high. So, like, should I just be saying this guy's, like, wide receiver one or two? Do it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to hype you up right now. Move him up your board. I should. I Tweet should. it. Say he's wide receiver two. What's stopping you? Problem is, Jordan Addison is my wide receiver one, so I'd have to put him above Jackson Smith. And is Jacob. he really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. I think That's the one where I stuck with that from before coming to all these guys like jordan addison jordan addison jumped out at me watching kenny pickett tape and i'm like that guy is really really good yeah. and then you went through and you watch him at usc as well you're like he's still really really good and okay jackson smith and jig was good too but i have more confidence that addison can win in more ways like i don't know if jackson smith and jig is more than a slot guy at the next level he might be i think we're probably too quick to label that as who oh, he's just a slot receiver that's all he can do he might be able to play outside and be an X. Like, he's got the footwork for it. He's got the size. He's not – like, I don't see a reason he definitely can't do that, which is seems to be like a foregone conclusion of he isn't going to be. I, um, I respect that. He's just so smooth. Yeah. He's just super smooth. And he's, I, got, he's got a really weird movement style. Like, he doesn't run – he doesn't move conventionally, which is, I think, a good thing for a wide receiver because DBs, like, so much are keying off – wide receiver movements like what they're doing like literally that's their job if you're playing any form of man coverage or pattern matches you're reading how the receiver is moving if that guy is moving unconventionally it doesn't even matter why it's harder right because you can't you don't get the same reads you don't get the same keys so the fact that he has a strange movement uh style and you know he deliberately overemphasizes, over accentuates like fakes and stuff like it's why he gets so open it's why he's able to separate really can well. make up for the lack of muscle mass you right know? because i mean that like that that's a big thing he was super thin you know can he really consistently win despite having that frame i mean i have him as wide receiver too i'm i think he's going to be addison yeah i think he's going to be a very productive player in the nfl i think 
again, I think situation does matter there, just like with any other wide receiver, but I don't hate that. You have him wide receiver one, so it's Addison Mingo now for your one and two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I like that. I mean, I have Smith and Jigba, Addison, Downs, Johnston, Michael Wilson. Yeah. That's my top five. Michael and Wilson's good. That's good. Like, I love that as a shout because I liked Michael Wilson. Where did I have him? I have him at 11, and he's another guy that I'm like, I really should push him higher than that. His, the polish that he has. I mean, like, we all know, like, the, you know, it's a running joke. Stanford, they're just like these big guys that don't separate and they can win in contested situations. And honestly, you look at the rest of their wide receiver depth chart last year, that's exactly what it was. But Michael Wilson, he could do that. But, man, he can separate. You saw it at the senior bowl, too. He was – I mean, he has some of the best cookage tape in the entire draft class. The problem is the durability, right? Yeah. And he's also not, like – doesn't have, like, even an average speed. It's not that great – um, from a long speed perspective, the, the medicals are just really scary. So, I mean, that again, that's where it's like, if you have them as you're 11, if you have them at like 15, like, I'm not going to blame yeah, you. That's you know? the biggest it goes thing, back to like the JSN hammy issue. If like, that's your reasoning with it. I get it because, you know, we've seen situations like this just not pan out. Um, you know, I'm just kind of looking past the medicals and just from a pure tape standpoint, when yeah. he is healthy, man, he's got it. He's definitely got it. And you can same could be said for Kayshawn Boudet, who I have not too far behind Michael Wilson. You know, I watched his 20, like I was, I watched 2022 and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of with everybody else here. And then I was like, I'm going to go back and watch his yeah. true freshman. And then I was like, I'm back in. He's got it. You know, he's got, he's, you know, first round pick. No, not really, but third round, definitely in there. And just his footwork suddenness is definitely there. But yeah, I mean, he has some injury questions too. And, you know, of course, some of the, the other stuff, but, you know, this class is just, again, pick your flavor. Whoever you like, you like a mingo, wide receiver two, take them top 20. You do it, Sam. Yeah. You do that. Who the, cares? Some <laughs> team's probably going to take mingo first round, and it's going to be like, it sounded like got that's another, a real possibility. Like, yeah, I would have got another direction, but I respect yeah. the hell out of it. The, um, yeah, Michael Wilson, the biggest thing I think is that injury history. Like, he's yeah. played in five years and has less than 1,000 passing snaps in those five years. Like, only been over 200 one year. Um, that's a, it's a pretty extensive injury history for him, which is scary enough. I think, you know, it's it's always tough to gauge whether a guy's just been unlucky or whether he actually has durability issues, you know, injury proneness or whatever. Uh, but I think that's reason enough to be like, talent wise, he probably is a top five receiver. But I can I rely on him being that going forward? Probably not. So let's keep him a little bit lower. The question I have too with him and yeah. You know, like if he was in another offense, let's if he was. I mean, you could say this about a lot of people, but if yeah. he was in a different offense, what would we think of him? Right. Like if he was playing with, not like this is not a slight to Tanner McKee. I just didn't really like the philosophical design of the Stanford offense. I oh, just it wasn't didn't. Good. Yeah, it was kind of like a, a little bit of what Wake did, and you know, just a. It was just, it was weird. That's I the mean, only element of Renner's Tanner McKee love that actually makes a little bit of sense. Is like yeah. the offense definitely didn't help him. Exactly, and that's kind of where I go to it. It's like if. I think consensus-wise, he'd be a lot higher if he was in another offense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, are there any wide receivers other than, I mean, you have, we've already talked a little bit about the guys you have really high. Are there any other kind of dudes you absolutely love that you have ranked way higher than other people? Um, I like Rashi Rice. I like Cedric Tillman. Um, again, it's like completely different because if you look at that same range, it's like, do you need a Jalen Hyatt or do you need a Cedric Tillman? Because yeah. they do completely different things. So it's like impossible to like firmly rank them um you know Cedric Tillman ball skills 
exceptional. Again, the role is what you kind of have an issue with, but, you know, I think everything else, just he's big, he's physical, can take on contact along the route with no issue at all whatsoever. Good explosiveness, got some hops. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, Like I said, Zay Flowers, Tank Dell. Like, if you want to take him, if you want to take Zay top 25, it's great. I mean, he, he was an exceptional player at Boston College. It's just the size thing I have issues with. Like, can he beat NFL man coverage? That I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. I have reasons to think that he just doesn't. He's not going to be able to do that. And Tank Dell, probably the same thing. But, man, if, if you want to take Tank Dell top 50, like, I'm not going to say you're an idiot because he was dangerous in college. Production off the charts. I love Tank Dell. Yeah. Yeah, Tank Dell, is he my – he's my number four wide receiver. Oh. I love Tank Dell. So wow, Tank so Dell – Tank Dell and Mingo are the two guys I'm really high on relative to everybody else. Who's three, JSN? Uh, three is Quentin Johnston. I don't like Quentin Johnston, but I I buy in enough to the things he's good at and the, the sort of physical ability that he has to be like, in this draft class, like I can't really drop that much lower than that. Like I get – I wouldn't pick him – you know, at the time, my initial sort of exposure to him, right, was, all right, Renner has this guy as the number one receiver in the draft. I'm going to start with him when I go through the tape. Let's level look. And, like, you watch his tape, and you're like, really? So, like, I, my first reaction was to re- message Renner. I'm like, are you sure the TCU guy isn't actually terrible? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sort of sent me these, these plays of him doing good things. So it's like, all right, look, <laughs> he's bad at a lot of things that are quite important to being a good wide receiver in the NFL. But he is big, fast, and explosive. He's not just a sort of vertical guy. He can stop as well, which is an important part of, like, can you actually be more than a one-trick pony? Um, On these hitch routes, he's able to catch and turn upfield and make big plays out of that. Like, I think there's enough there where you're like, all right, let's – I'm willing to bet on that, you know, the bottom of the first round. Let's grab him and let's see if we can develop him into something more. Like, the sort of DK Metcalf pathway of – I don't need him to do much more than that right away, and we'll figure out what he can be down the line. You know, I think I wouldn't have him one. I wouldn't have him two. But then you get into this group of receivers. It's like how many other guys can you really push ahead of him before it's like we're probably being too harsh at this point. I'm right there with you. Um, the stop-start ability at that size, is that's pretty darn good. The ball skills is kind of like the big thing I have issues about. Um yeah. I mean, just body catches everywhere. But I'm, I'm with you. End of round one is where I would go with him. Right. Um, I think if you, you got, I think that's another thing too. You can't have Quentin Johnson too low. But you know, if you have him one, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, discount that. But I would have him right around there, like you. Yeah. The only thing I get having him one, if your argument is the other guys can't be a number one. Right. If your argument is Jackson Smith and Jigba is only a slot guy, Jordan Addison at his size is only a slot guy, like I need an X receiver. If you need an X receiver, I get having Quentin Johnson as your number one guy. Like that it's not a draft that's stuff full of those guys. So if that's your like that's your goal, I get having him as your number one. That's like I have a lot of sympathy. It makes for sort of sometimes really awkward reading or digesting when you're looking at people's rankings that do it this way, but there's a few people out there who really like break down receiver and corner into like a lot of subsets, you know, like zone corner, man corner, off, you know, all these kinds of things. And then slot receiver, X receiver, flanker. It's, it's a pain in the ass sometimes when you're looking at them and like, this is sort of being too granular. But 
it does make a lot of sense in this draft when you're like comparing Jackson Smith and Jigba, Tank Dell, and Quentin Johnson. You're like, these are three wildly different receivers. Like, yeah. what are we even doing trying to compare them to each other? They're not playing the same position in the NFL. Or Jalen Hyatt versus Cedric Tillman. I mean, they came from the same offense, but they don't they, they don't play the same position. It's technically labeled wide receiver. It's not the same. That's a good point. I mean, I think it can get a little bit tricky with corners. I mean, you look at this group too. It's like, yeah, Christian Gonzalez, you know, you look at him just from a physical profile standpoint. It's like, that guy was made to play press man in the NFL. And you watch him, it's like, this guy's better in zone. You know, he's got some issues when he's at the line of scrimmage and all that. Um, yeah, I think with the receiver class, that's I think that's very well said. It's very much, you know, what what else do you need? Like I said, what ingredients are you missing from the pantry? And kind of go from there. Um, let's move on to the edge rushers because I know you had some takes about the edge rushers. Uh, well, let, let hit me with it. What's your hottest take? Mm. I guess I do kind of have some takes. So <laughs> I really like Nolan Smith. I think he's closer to Will Anderson than a lot of people think. And I think the biggest thing, obviously, doesn't have that power element. It's not going to be there. But, man, he's just a technician. I mean, you could tell. I mean, all these guys that come out of Georgia, that program – I don't, we've never seen anything like it. They're just so well-coached, well-developed. The way he plays the run is just phenomenal. I mean, he's not going to, you know, seed any ground either. Just because he it is lacking that power element, he's not going to act like he, he isn't. You know, he stacks and shed, can lock out despite not having the biggest arms. His hand usage overall is pretty sharp. Um, Throwing the athletic profile too, just the flexibility. I really like him. He's like a robot against the run and as a pass rusher. I think if you let him cook – He's in a defense that's going to let him cook on the edge. He's, you know, he's not doing all these different things and kind of giving him a little bit more difficult opportunities to get after the quarterback. I think he's going to put up some numbers. I think he's going to put up some sharp, sharp numbers. So I like Nolan Smith. He's my edge too. But, uh, you know, we look at the best prospects in this class. I think he's top five. Ooh. And, again, I, again, this class is all about everybody has different rankings and they should be different because it just depends on what you like. And if you're going to say, I'm worried about his play strength, I'm going to say, me too, buddy. I just think everything else is going to trump that, but that could very well be the reason why he doesn't really become that that star. But I, I personally think he is going to be that star. Um, so I got Will Anderson, obviously, one. Will Anderson, he plays a little passive. You know what I mean? Like, I was expecting to see a little bit more. I mean, obviously, I've been watching him for the last three years, but going back through looking at the full picture that he's kind of painted, it's just very passive. I expected to see this just – very aggressive player that, that Nolan Smith kind of plays like sometimes. But, you know, he's still obviously – he's obviously great. You know, Willie Anderson should be a top three pick. I mean, he is that good of a player. But I think Nolan Smith is right on his heels. That's where I think the um, – like you're using it sort of as a negative. I think a lot of people uh, are saying, you know, he's, he's maxed out. This is as good as you're going to get from Will Anderson. I think there is definitely more potential there in terms of – like asking him to play the game a slightly different way. Like I, I think that a, that Alabama defense did not put him in a position. Like they didn't play him like some other teams that have elite edge rushers do, where they basically scheme the whole thing to design them one-on-one to do whatever they want to do and wreck house. Like Anderson had to play very much within the structure of that defense. There's a lot of like reading going on where he's not selling out to pass rush, where he's checking what the quarterback's doing, what the play is. I think there's more to be had by just like cutting him loose at the next level and saying, this dude's awesome. Let's let him go. Like we'll figure out other things. We're not going to, you know, 
put you in a box and ask you to just play a role, you're better than that. So, like, I, I don't agree with the people that are like, n- number one, I think even if he is maxed out at this level, it's really good. So it's, a, it's just a bad argument. But number two, I don't think he is maxed out. I think that that defense actually restricts him enough that, like, simply taking the shackles off gives you an extra 15 20% to his play. Yeah, I mean, him and Nolan Smith have that in common. I mean, yeah. they were very much like, you know, okay, this is what our defense is. You're going to play this role of our defense. And, you know, at the NFL, you're going to get those opportunities to, you know, let loose. You know, you're going to get those one-on-one opportunities. My edge three, put him in the same boat, Will McDonald of Iowa State. That oh, defense that did not help him at all. No, he's playing like that, you know, head-up, five-tech type of role yeah. within that three-man defensive line it's that's three-man rushes you know not where you want a guy that is like a an undersized edge rusher holy quickness though i mean the the amount of times that he did win just given his role i mean he has great pass rush production going back to 2019 and if you really kind of look at the snaps where he was on the edge and those one-on-one opportunities his numbers are better than anybody in this class i mean just the twitch that he has is just amazing i think it's the very first note I have on him is stupid lateral quickness. Yep. Like, just absurd. He can step an offensive lineman, like, instantly, which he had to do a lot because he's head up over the dude, yep. like, right in his face immediately. So, yeah, I, I love that guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with him, obviously, he can get stuck on blocks. We saw that a lot more. We saw it a lot more than we, we did with Nolan Smith. Um, he can get a little bit out of control, but I, I really do think that at the NFL level, he's going to go off as a pass rusher. Um, and, again, it's it's all about, like, what do you need because, you know, you can't really compare a Will McDonald to a Lucas Van Ness, a Tyree Wilson, a Miles Murphy. They're just yeah. so different players. Everybody thinks you know, of them differently um, because McDonald and Smith, I like them because, you know, just of their, their ability, like I've kind of pointed out, but they are undersized. They got those size issues. You know, if they can, they hold up to the play strength at the NFL level. I mean, those are rightful concerns, but I think there's enough there. Um, after that, I think that's when you have a trio right there with Lucas Van Ness, Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy. Um, and I can't figure out Tyree Wilson to save my life. I just can't. I mean, he's a mammoth. He looks like a guy that is playing, you know, just like in a movie, uh, you know, just a menacing Goliath right there. That, that's Tyree Wilson. You're like, I'm supposed to go up against that guy. He looks, you know what he looks like to me? He looks like Lurch from the Adams family. Like there's just giant, like, <laughs> all arms and like inevitably heading in your direction there's nothing you can do to stop it yeah i mean i again there's just a lot like i'm gonna take willie anderson over tyree wilson that's like i think that's a a thing i'm very confident about and i think that's one of the arguments in this class like a pretty big one um and one i'm pretty firm on again like i'm pretty open to every what everybody thinks um but yeah I, i would go willie anderson there with tyree wilson he didn't have great production and it wasn't against great competition and I think he has just his upright play style. That's going to get exposed at the NFL level. Yeah. Like, that's not going to work. And I have issues that he's ever going to change that. Um, I, again, I can see why you like him. Just the the blend of length and power, just jaw-dropping stuff. Like I said, he looks like a fake character out there on the field. But I just don't know if he can consistently play at a decent power level. It's just – it's it's just interesting. I go back and forth, and I think it's a little bit more clear cut with like Lucas Van Ness and Miles Murphy, like what they are and what they're gonna be. But Tyree Wilson, I just have no clue. Let me uh, let's wrap this show. I want to pitch you a crazy draft rumor that Steve has sent me from a sick bed. 
Um, Reddit apparently has become the source of all draft information this year. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody knows anything, so everyone's turning to Reddit for the answers. This one is also from Reddit. It's called uh, Patriots Draft Rumor. Uh, let me read it verbatim. A co-worker of mine is friends with the former director of player personnel for the Alabama football program. Yesterday, he told me that his friend is hearing New England has the parameters of a trade in place with Houston. New England would receive the second overall pick in the draft in exchange for the 14th pick, uh, a 2023, that's this year, fourth round pick, a first round pick next year, and Mac Jones. I would love that. I would love that so much. I am a Mac Jones truther. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a good player. So that's like that's one side of it. But the other side of it is, is who are the Patriots going up to two for if that happened? I don't know. but I, It's got to be for a quarterback if you're trading away Mac Jones, right? I so love that. For, which QB does Bill Belichick covet? I don't know. I love that for PFF Bobby, though. If that actually happens, I think that you, Mac Jones would cook in that offense. But I – yeah, that's a good question. I don't know who Bill Belichick would be after. It's, that's a really good point, actually. Like, Bobby Slowick, former, former PFF senior analyst, is essentially going to be running, we assume, a version of the Kyle Shanahan offense. And we said right away that, like, okay, that offense makes every quarterback look good. But a guy like Mac Jones, whose special ability is processing, accuracy, getting to the right guy as quickly as possible – like, that's what that offense wants. They yeah. want that quarter. That's why Purdy has been really good so far. Like, Mac Jones in that offense would cook. And if that's what Bobby gets right off the bat and they still get – then they still get – they they have number 12 and number 14, right? In this scenario, they get an extra fourth and they have their quarterback. That's pretty good dealing from the Texans. I'd get – that'd be a Texans fan. I'd get a Texans tattoo on my <laughs> right shoulder. You know, I think that would be amazing. That yeah, I mean, awesome. if Bill Belichick made that move, I don't know who anybody like. We're hearing all yeah. this Levis to Colts. You stuff can buy too, any of them, and it's right? like we don't like know. You can you can construct an argument for any of those guys, and you can also understand why anybody would hate any of them because yeah. each one of them has got something to be terrified of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of them have like their best. Like you look at C.J. Stroud at his best moments. Yeah, he looks great. Will Levis when he's in rhythm. I mean, he just looks the part. You know, just being able to get the ball. His releases. Probably the quickest I've ever seen, three tenths of a second on the on the nose, and when he's in rhythm, it's beautiful. But like everything else, just Anthony Richardson, you know the athleticism. You know he just kind of everybody knows what he can do in an open field, and just the arm strength that he has. So yeah, I mean it's just I think we're going to see some chaos if that happens. Sure. I don't know who it would be for, and even if it doesn't happen, I'm not buying the Levis to Indy room. I'm not buying that for a second. It's too hot at this point. It, they want C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. <laughs> then again, I don't know. I think we're going to see chaos like we do in every NFL draft, and I'm here for it. I'm excited. The chaos this year appears to be way more intense than normal years. Like, you have no idea what's happening. Nobody has any – every insider report you hear is like, I just talked to somebody, and they don't know anything. Like, oh, great, <laughs> thanks. Uh, nobody seems to have any clue what's happening outside of that first pick. The, the Belichick thing, though, is really interesting because – you know, he had Brady for basically 20 years. So everyone sort of automatically assumes, well, the guys Brady or the guys that Belichick loves are, you know, prototypical pocket pastors like Tom Brady. And Mac Jones, you know, kind of makes sense. Right? But he's also, you know, they brought in Cam Newton. Apparently they were high on um, Lamar Jackson, that draft. They were also apparently potentially thinking about trading to number one for Baker Mayfield. Like, there, I don't know that there is a thread 
like a consistent theme of quarterbacks that Belichick likes. Even if you look at the ones they drafted during the Tom Brady era, there's not a particularly consistent theme amongst those guys either. I, like So you're like, all right, Bryce Young goes number one. Who's the QB? Belichick wants it too. I don't know that there's evidence for that, like within his what he's gone for in the past. I think it could be any of them. Or Bill Belichick's been on Reddit. He knows Will Levis is going one, and Bill O'Brien's like, give me my guy, Bryce Young, uh-huh. at two. Or would Belichick be crazy enough to trade up to two and, uh, and just draft you know, Will Anderson or Jalen <laughs> Carter and then figure out quarterback down the line? That would be, that'd be a flex. That's some draft day stuff right there. Right, that's, the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's Kevin Cosner right. on the call. We, Belichick is one of the few humans that probably has enough like, credit in the bank to be able to say, we're going for next year. We're shooting for... Caleb Williams, you know? Yeah, I mean, the dude could, like, yeah, he could do that for three years. Everybody's now, unfortunately, like, they would they give up their next year's first for that, so that's probably not happening. But, like, if you were – like, I've worked on the basis that I did this when I traded. And when I did a mock draft, and I was like, all right, if I'm Carolina, what am I doing? I've already given up, like, a lot to get to this pick. I thought the same thing when the 49ers traded what amounts to three first-round picks for, you know, for their pick, for their quarterback with Trey Lance – if you're going to give up that much, I feel like you need to shoot for special potential, right? Like, Do it, you? I think so. I don't, like, if you're giving up, like, you can make an argument that if you're giving up that much, the thing you need the most is, like, the highest floor possible. So you can't immediately be ridiculed for what happened, like, for it not panning out. Like, the absolute bare minimum is this guy's okay and I don't get fired. I feel like if you're going to trade that much, you need to come away with the potential that the dude can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. If he can't, then, like, what are you doing? What's the point? No? I guess. I mean, you could see arguments because it's just – it's hard to look at the past because, like, you look at the Trey Lance situation, right? Yes, that's and not like, gone well, obviously. Yeah, and people want to dog with Mac Jones, but it's like, no, nah, if Mac Jones was third pick, like, 49ers would be pretty hot. Like, yeah. it would be good. Like, at the time – so – when they first made that trade, the 49ers, there was a lot of talk that he's going for Mac Jones. That's who he wants, right? And I was like, and that, that was back when Mac Jones was supposed to be the mid-round, for, mid-first-round pick that he ended up being. And then the news was like, oh, the 49ers want him at three. And you're like, really? So I started sort of thinking about it, looking at I wrote an article about, like, Mac Jones within that 49ers offense I think would be amazing. I think that's a really good pick. He's worth he's, – I think he's worth the third overall pick for that offense. But – I was like, but I wouldn't trade three first-round picks for that, <laughs> you know? So I think there's a difference between you're there now, what do you want to do, and, like, am I, is he worth all of this? And then if you're the Patriots, so you're not thinking about, like, is Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, is he worth the second overall pick? You're like, is he worth the 14th pick, a first next year, Mac Jones, and a fourth? And you're like, I like Levis. I like him a lot relative to other people. I would not give that for Will Levis. I don't like C.J. Stroud as much as other people. I would not give that for C.J. Stroud. I, I think about it for Anthony Richardson. Like, it's a lot, but the potential payoff if he hits is insane. Mm. I don't even know. If, like, the thing is, it's like, maybe this, like, let's just say, like, this is an actual rumor and, like, this, is, this could happen. Yeah. 
I could I see. Mean, look, the guy on Reddit seems sure. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> why wouldn't he be right? I mean, Bill Belichick's kind of near the end of his career, right? He's had the best track record of anybody in the history of the NFL. No doubt about that. Maybe this is his last hurrah, and it's like I'm going after the guy I think could be a home run. And if he doesn't work out, oh well. Say right. la vie. I'm already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> We're good. I mean, that, that could be. I think in that case, I could see it through that lens, but it's hard to kind of it, – it's hard guessing what's going through that what, through Bill Belichick's brain. I think with Anthony Richardson, the floor is scary. I mean, man, hitting the easy stuff is the most important thing in the NFL. You got yeah. to you you hit the short stuff. This is – since 2021, Anthony Richardson has a 30.0 grade on one to nine-yard throws. It's the worst in the PFF college era. Since 2014, by eight points. You look at the accurate pass rate, completion percentage, whatever you like, they're not good. Like, objectively, he has struggled hitting the easy stuff. I know he likes to kind of push the ball downfield. He is aggressive, and the offense kind of supported that. Um, those deep overs, play pass, all that. But it's a different ball game in the NFL, and you got you to gotta be able to do everything, and that's what I get worried about, and that's why that floor is just very, very concerning for me. But don't you think that you can raise that floor by tapping into his running ability? Like, if you run the Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen to an extent game plan, it negates a lot of the being, the, the bad from a passing point of view. I mean, Chicago was pretty bad last year, and that's what they kind of did. But they also had nobody around him. Like, they, their offense in terms of EPA per play was like a hair under league average, which obviously isn't good. But, like, when you consider he had no wide receivers and not a good offensive line, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I in the Fields case, like I think Ch Chicago was in the right mind by trading back and sticking with Fields. I think they had to do that. I think that's the right decision. I still think that there could be room to improve for Fields. Of course, but like but with, but from a floor point of view, like that's my point, right? Is I mean, that, we, we made the argument with Malik Willis, and like yeah. that was just not even viable. Like Agreed. that wasn't an option last year. But I do think that the difference between Willis and Richardson, other than the fact that which Richardson is still in a different world athletically and size and all that kind of stuff, is he is further along like willis was one read run like if it's one read it's not there run yeah and i'm not saying they're like the same richardson does process like he does work through full progressions he wants to be a pocket quarterback now once he puts the ball in the air it's like a randomizer who the hell knows where it's going but he's way more advanced from just a what he's doing process wise reading a defense Re, like working through a progression than Malik Willis was. Well, yeah, and with Richardson, like, I think he wants to be that. Can he do that? I don't like, – he had some bad decisions. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. But, like, but, like, but being able to, like, read a progression, I think, is an important part of, like, that floor. If you can't if – you, if you've never gone through a progression, no, if you just, it. like, yeah. one read run, that I don't think – that's where I – that's where I would learn from the Malik Willis thing last year and say that is a low floor. If I, even if you're a special runner – I don't know that you can build an offense with that. If you can read a progression, if you can work through a defense, if you can tell me what you're seeing, then I think we can talk about raising a floor with tapping into your running ability. Because, like, Fields was dead last in the league in yards per game, passing, right? But the Bears' offense was just below average in EPA per play. Like, that gap being bridged is the running stuff. So I think that's the floor is a slightly below average offense because you can run – like nobody else yeah and like again i i get why people like anthony richardson a lot and I, like i'm just saying like he did you know he did have some impressive moments you know getting through his progressions doing a full field read all that stuff but he also had way more examples of just horrible decisions that you typically 
Sure. You don't want to see from a guy that's getting projected in the top five. And that's when I get concerned, like, okay, I don't know if he can actually handle that type of load. And then I get, like, the high floor offense with his rushing ability. But at the end of the day, it's like, can he win you a Super Bowl? That's where I – like, I'm thinking of ranking these quarterbacks and thinking, where would I take him? Can this guy win me a Super Bowl? And with yeah. Anthony Richardson, again, like, I'm just not sure. Like, you look at his play-action passing grade, 91.3. No play-action, 52.4. He's got more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws without the play pass. But and then, that was a big key to that Florida offense. Of I mean, course, Hitting yeah. those deep overs, I mean, it was cheat-coded. You right. know? But think how many of those play-action passes you're going to be able to give him if you have a Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields-style like running offense that sure. he can work off the back of. Sure, that's like 30%, though. And the other 70%, it's like you got to – you're gonna have to do a little bit more. Like you're gonna have to. Of course, like if he if he doesn't get any better than he is right now, it's not gonna work. Like he's not yeah. gonna hit the. But my point being, I think the floor is higher than people are scared of because of that. Because of what you can prop it up with with the running stuff. Like Jalen Hurts, the Eagles had a top ten offense in EPA per play uh, the year before last when Hurts was like, you know, not great. Like okay, maybe as a passer, but you're like, if he doesn't play any better than this, this isn't gonna work. Um, they were top 10 because he added like a thousand yards and eight touchdowns on the ground or whatever. Like if you get that kind of production out of Richardson from a running point of view, a, it means your offense doesn't stink right away. Right. Which is the floor part, but B it also gives you time to get him better in the passing stuff. And if he doesn't, then fine, you move on to go in a different direction. He doesn't work out, but it buys you that like three years to figure that out or two years or whatever it is. So I'm actually I'm not as scared of his floor as a lot of people. Like his turnover-worthy play rate was 3.3%, which is not good, but it's not scary. Yeah, and it, like I said, I mean, obviously the dude is arguably the best athlete to ever come out of the quarterback position ever. Yeah, I mean, you could see it in the test. He blew him out of the water. The escapability is nuts. I mean, we talked pressure to sack rate earlier with Hinton Hooker. His was at 29%. Anthony Richardson is just 9%. That's advanced at the collegiate level because that's typically the one issue you see with college quarterbacks. They just can't handle muddy pockets. They can't handle pressure. And that's why we really see, I mean, we talk about, you know, pass rush coverage, and that's why at the collegiate level, pass rush and coverage are equally as important. At the NFL level, you get that coverage in there. Um, it's Again, it's just like it, whether or not it's all about – are you confident Anthony Richardson can do the simple stuff? That I think that's kind of the big question with the floor, and that's where I have some doubts just given what we have seen. But, again, the dude's thrown 455 – he's dropped back 455 times. Thrown a pass less than 400 times, right? So we haven't really seen a lot. Maybe it's just a small sample. It very well could be. He has one full season of work. Um, and, you know, I again, I think round one guy – just all about situation and who really wants to take a swing and kind of developing them. And if you told me, you know, five years from now that he's a top five quarterback, I'd believe you. You know, I'd be like, yeah, I could definitely see that. But if you say he's not starting, could also see that too. Yeah. I mean, I do think obviously situation is critical for him, but it's different, I think, from, from certainly Jalen Hurts. Um, but if you're taking him this high, if you don't have that kind of plan for him, like what are you even doing? I, I'm assuming – that anybody that drafts Anthony Richardson at the top of this draft is is going in with that kind of game plan. Like, this is what the offense is going to look like around him. We're going to prop him up with the run game for a while, including, like, his own part of the run game. And then we're, it's going to be a two-year project. He's working with his own individual QB coach. He's going to be part of the process. Like, we're going to get him better in the passing part of this. And year one probably won't be good. Like, he'll have a PFF grade in the 50s, 
maybe, right? And that will be based off his run game. And after two years, we might be saying this guy stinks like Josh Allen. But then it comes together once he sort of gets better or better year on year. Like, I do think I'm not as concerned with the floor. I think the ceiling is the question. It's like, can we actually get him anywhere near what we think the ceiling is? How much do you think, like, let's say he is sliding, because, like, we have seen some, you know, pretty plugged-in people say that he could be sliding a little bit. You know, I've seen mock drafts from, you know, highly regarded people that have him in the 20s. Do you think, like, the reason why he could slide is less about them being scared about the floor, but more scared about, you know, how long it's going to take to develop him? Because not a lot of people have – you know, three to four years to develop a guy. And, you know, developing a quarterback in that time span is pretty rare. Like, seeing Josh Allens and even Jalen Hurts kind of get to that point, it's pretty rare. You typically know what you got early on. But, you know, do you think people are scared of just the timeline that's kind of ahead with them? Yeah, I think it's being scared of those first two years, right? Not that the floor is necessarily incredibly low, but it's like, think of how much crap the Bills were taking after those first couple of years, right? In terms of that guy stinks. Josh Allen's terrible. Like the Bills made the wrong call. Josh Allen is awful. And yet all the way along, they were saying, this is the guy. We love Josh Allen. This guy's incredible. He's a leader. He's natural. Like it's going to come. It's happening. He's getting better. They bought into him 100%. But if you don't, like if you aren't 100% sure, like that, that, sort of media storm after those first couple of years if he hasn't immediately become amazing is tough to navigate like Trey like the 49ers are getting with Trey Lance and he barely stepped foot on the field like it's like this guy stinks this is awful this is the worst decision you've ever made like that's that's a real thing owners have to deal have to hear that teams have to deal with it like everyone's going to get under pressure if it doesn't work immediately and I just think teams are scared of navigating those waters for the first couple of years and I, and I, like, I will say like in that draft class, I did not like Trey Lance. Like, I would not have taken that big investment on him because for the same reasons as Anthony Richardson, I wasn't sure if he could execute the simple stuff. Yeah, and I don't think Trey Lance is, like, I think recent precedent for anything you're kind of comping to in the NFL is kind of important. So, like, Orlando Brown is a good recent precedent for Dewan Jones, right? Trey Lance is a bad recent precedent for Anthony Richardson. Like, we took a guy with almost no passing experience in college who was a really good athlete with a great arm, who could be a part of a run game. And in Shanahan's offense, you're like, wow, that's a perfect system for it. And so far, in incredibly small samples, he's been bad. And he's been beat out for the starting job by Mr. Irrelevant. Like, that, that's a bad precedent. Like, that can't do anything but hurt your opinion of, like, Anthony Richardson's trajectory because there's too many parallels between the two. Yeah, and, you know, I think that just goes with, like, like that's probably always going to be my mindset with these guys just because – of, of the way we're kind of we all think of the game differently right we all see the game differently and that's why I love you know people like Chris who are doing like I'm going to put these players the way I want to put them you know the way I see them that's yeah. very important you know that can't I think there's a lot of getting the whole consensus you know there is a strong correlation there the consensus is usually pretty good but you know you got to make sure if you want to kind of get everything in there you know getting your own internal opinion as to you know, if it is a little, people call it hot takey, but it's just, no, you know, everybody sees the game differently. And I think that's where we all need to kind of, it's never going to happen, but everybody recognize <laughs> that like, you know, this, it's not crazy. You know what I mean? Everybody has their own thing. And, and with these types of quarterbacks, I, again, so much of the quarterback position is executing that simple stuff. And that's where I just get really scared. That's where I got scared with Trey Lance. And that's where I'm getting scared with Anthony Richardson. I think 
trading up for Anthony Richardson, like let's say Bill Belichick does do that. You know, right. The Pats pull out that, that card. They make a big power move, and they get Anthony Richardson second overall. I wouldn't like that at all. I would be pretty critical of that. But then again, I don't have a Super Bowl ring, and Bill Belichick is, <laughs> you know, however many. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I just – I get scared about investing too much into him. You know, if you're sitting back yeah. there and he's at Houston, you know, if you're, if you're at 12 and he's still there, you know, you got Will Anderson at two – wouldn't hate it you know I wouldn't take him there but I respect it it's just again there's just a big unknown cloud I think with Anthony Richardson more so than really anybody because it's just a big big projection at least you wouldn't be uh, turning him over to Matt Patricia as the offensive my mastermind to bring him on like they've, they've got a real offense coordinator this year so and that, yeah, that might if, help if Mac Jones goes to Houston he'd be playing with the great OC and I think <laughs> he could probably light it up um yeah, like I, this year, I do think it's it's a good point that this year, more than most, um, I'm not going to say any because I'm sure there have been drafts like this, but like more than most drafts I can remember, be, this is a year where wild outlier takes make sense. Like as long as you can come with reasons why yeah. you have a guy draft, you know, ranked wherever or, you know, high or low, what you like, what you dislike. There's such a weird collection of talent this year in terms of strengths and weaknesses, what they're missing, what they bring to the table. There is such a sort of strange darth of like amazingly blue chip players like the, you know, fine. You can have Jackson Smith and Jigba as your number one receiver. Makes perfect sense. Most people do. On the other hand, you can easily construct an argument that says that guy's a slot receiver only there's five X receivers I think are better in this draft than him. And he's like way down the board. Like, give me Quentin Johnston. Give me, you know, whatever, like guy that you think has the talent to be that X. Give me Cedric Tillman over him. Like yeah. you can make that argument. And it, it's like, I wouldn't agree with it, but it's not stupid. Like it's not absurd. It's not just trash for clicks. You can construct that argument and defend it. And there's no way of like disproving it right now. We're going to have to wait and see like who's right. And, the quarterbacks in particular, like everyone's kind of settled on this idea that Bryce Young is number one. I agree with that. I think that's the most reasonable conclusion to come to. I also, like his size terrifies me. The dude is my size. And at some point, he's either going to get fallen on by a dude that weighs 350. He's going to have like a dude that weighs 350. is going to have him in the grip, toss him into the floor. And he's a passenger. And we don't know if he's going to get up from that hit or if he's broken. Right? Yeah. And there's you can't get away from that like that's a thing that's gonna happen it's it's so much different from like 2021 like since we're on the topic of 2021 looking at you know what the Niners did going up for Lance this class is just completely different in terms of the structure like you were just talking about like there was no like we don't really have that this year at Jamar Chase or you know Pinay Sewell for the Bengals right and like that's a hotly contested debate and that was something I was very passionate about because it's very clear right wide receivers just you know the impact if Chase hits star status and he hit it you know, the impact that he's going to have is so much more greater than if Sewell hits star status, right? You know, you look at number two, and it's like Zach Wilson, you know, people like Seth, you know, very smart. I think one of the smartest people, Seth Galina, who works here, who will be here on the draft show day two and day three, he's one of the smartest guys. He was very concerned about that offense he was in. He's like, I don't know. And, you know, that there was some debate there about whether the, that's the slam duck number two pick, and then you have the Niners there at three. It's like, what do you, you trade it up all this, and you're going to invest in you know, Trey Lance, you know, is Mac Jones the safer option there? Probably better for you. I mean, there was just so much of that in that class. And you know, it was a very good class overall in terms of even non-quarterbacks, very deep, Michael Parsons, Sean yeah. Slater, all that. Um, but there was a lot more clear debate that was to be had there. This class, 
it's open. I think, honestly, the only thing you can really debate is, like, Bijan. You know, you taking a mate overall. You know, like, I don't think you probably should, but. But it's so, like, I think there's so many arguments in this draft class where there is a dozen different ways of seeing it, and all of them are legitimate. It's all a case of what, are you, what do you value? What are you scared of? Like, what we're all, generally speaking, identifying similar things. It's just a case of which is the most important thing. Like, yeah. you and I differ on Anthony Richardson. Like, you, you're terrified by his inability right now to do the simple stuff, which makes perfect sense. Like, that's a really important part of playing quarterback. I'm enamored by the idea of what you can do with a guy like that in today's NFL. And, you know, like, all these plays where Cam Newton would, like, just – was a cheat code, right? That guy would, he was bigger than defensive ends trying to chase him down. He would make plays out of nothing because you couldn't, you had nobody on defense who could match up with that guy. We have a guy the same size who runs two tenths of a, ten, uh, two tenths of a second faster in the 40. Like we've, we've never seen this before. It's insane. Um, so I think you can prop up a lot of the crappy quarterback play for a while and then figure out if you can develop that down the line. But I think this year generally, like just across the board, has so many debates and discussions that are all valid. Like, and yet everyone's treating it, if you're outside of the consensus, you're an idiot or you're a troll or whatever. Yeah. And, and even too, it's like, you look at the positions up top, like, like tackle, for example. It's like, you have Darnell Wright one, I don't agree with it. You're scared of Darnell Wright, you don't have him in your top five, you know. I get it because his before this past year it wasn't good and right. he still has a little bit of issues and the offense he was in kind of helped him out a little bit. Um, for what it's worth, I have him tackle three or four. I just haven't really decided. I think he's he's okay. I think he's pretty good. There's almost no position where I think there's a clear, inarguable like ranking where yeah. there's a clear like, like number this one. is one number one, this is number two, and this is basically not up for debate. Right? Like we think. I Will think, Anderson should be that guy, but there's a lot of people that think Tyree Wilson should be ahead of him. Like, the, that's a good like the number two in particular. Like I think I think again like Bryce Young, I think that's probably like yeah he's got to be one. Yeah, I think even Brian that, Branch, you know, like, he's probably got to be number one at safety. Right. Osiris Torrance got to be number one at guard, unless you're putting Peter Skronsky. In right. But even then, like those positions, it's it's a one, and then after that, it gets muddy as hell. Like cornerback, yeah. right? Number two, it's wide open. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is such a it's a weird draft because as much as it might not be a good draft in terms of talent and how high the standard is overall, because of that, it's wide open. Like all bets are off. Nobody has any idea what's happening. There are going to be people that hate picks on draft night and people that love the same pick on draft night simply based off what you value and what you covet. Exactly. It's like, are we going to argue Kalijah Kansi or Brian Brzee as the second best interior defense alignment? It's like, we're talking about two different yeah. dudes here, completely different games. I'm excited. Absolutely. I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm The closer we get to this draft, the more excited I am about all the craziness that could unfold. Um, we're going to be back tomorrow. Steve, hopefully, will be off the, uh, the deathbed by then. We'll do a show in the morning. Then we're going to have the live stream during round one of the draft. We're going to be covering every single pick here in the studio with Chris Collinsworth, with Steve, again, assuming he's back, uh, and Trevor Sykema as well. And then immediately after that round one, me and Steve will be going live with our podcast reaction to the first round. And then that's the start of our uh, draft coverage. We'll be covering every single round of the draft live here. So hang out with us on the YouTube channel, Pro Football Focus uh, YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll see you then.